Welcome everybody to this uh, Reach Markets Meet the Funds Manager session. My name is Warwick Lace. I'm the Head of Investor Relations at Reach Markets and I'll be hosting the session for you today. Um, as many of you would already know, Reach Markets uh, hosts a number of different investor webcasts. Uh, um, we have uh, a very popular insider session where we meet the CEOs of ASX listed companies uh, and they come and present their story every alternate Wednesday at midday. Uh, we host two trading webcasts the next big trades and those that can do um, uh, every week. And we also host uh, this webcast, a very popular session, Meet the Fund Manager. We do that uh, if once a month at the end of every month, last Friday of every month. Uh, the common theme is that we always give you, the audience, the opportunity to ask questions uh, directly of our guests. Uh, we feel this is an important way for you to sort of interactively gain uh, insights and knowledge on companies and uh, investors that you might be considering following or making investing in. Ultimately, uh, learning about your in, uh, sort of more about your investments and uh, your investment ideas. Any information contained in today's presentation is general nature and does not consider your personal circumstances. You need to consider for yourself whether it is appropriate for you. Okay, we're very pleased today to be joined by Rob Kellman, the senior investment analyst at OC Funds Management. Uh, Rob joined OC way back in uh, 2007, which must have been a very interesting time to to start with a, 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 a investment management company. And he's responsible for the analysis of stocks and sectors within, within OC's investment universe. Um, and this includes uh, meeting with management, uh, financial modeling and valuations, uh, as well as industry and market analysis. Um, Rob's also responsible for the, the equities dealing function across uh, OC, uh, which is really why we are love having people like Rob uh, onto the show, uh, talking about their insights, sharing their knowledge and uh, providing you hopefully with a few real hot tips. Uh, Rob uh, is a, a chartered accountant with some experience uh, in the, in two of the big four and uh, worked internationally uh, at some of the uh, at some banks and um, with some of the largest uh, fund managers working closely with, with large fund managers internationally. And maybe Rob will kick off there with a bit of a uh, welcome and thanks very much for your time today. If we could, uh, before we uh, get stuck into the uh, the OT funds and uh, the tips and things along those lines, if you could maybe just share a bit of a, your earlier experience, how you came into the industry, what drew you towards uh, funds management and maybe some of that overseas experience and uh, how that helped shape your career and direction. Sure, uh, Warwick and thanks for having us uh, on today. Uh, my name is Rob Kelman, as uh, Warwick said, and I'm with OC Funds Management, Senior Investment Analyst. Uh, to answer that first uh, intro, uh, yeah, I'm a chartered accountant by background. I, uh, I started with KPMG way back in 1995 after, um, after finishing commerce at Melbourne. And uh, I went on to a stint at uh, Ernst & Young in their corporate finance team, uh, just in time for the Olympics in Sydney in 2000. And then after that, I, like many of you know, my peers at that time, uh, jetted off to London and spent uh, four years in London uh, working with the Bank of New York in their uh, fund accounting team, uh, which really got me interested in financial markets, equity markets, which I, I was already interested in. I was investing myself personally, uh, but spent uh, four years there before coming back to Australia in, uh, in 05. Uh, and shortly after that, I joined uh, OC in uh, late 2006, early 2007, and uh, have been with the team ever since. 
Uh, I've obviously got a, an interest and a passion in uh, equities investing. Uh, Rob Frost, who I've worked with for the last 14 years, uh, was actually at university with me, and uh, Rob was looking for another member of the team to join, and it was fortuitous that um, you know, I was right, right place, right time for that opportunity. And uh, Rob and I, uh, you know, after being at university together almost 30 years ago, uh, 30 years next year, uh, where we've been working together for the last 14 years as well. Yeah, thanks for that, Rob. Uh, certainly, your uh, the, the Rob and the Rob combination at at OC has a formidable reputation, and um, and uh, it's uh, definitely a a name that uh, small cap companies uh, love to see popping up on uh, on the registry, uh, no doubt. Uh, but uh, you should have control of the presentation, so if you want to um, uh, rip into it, we can um, we'll start uh, start looking uh, looking through the deck and taking some questions. Absolutely, thanks, Warwick. Uh, I didn't deliberately skip over the disclaimer slide there, but uh, you can go back and read that in your own time. So uh, it's, it's great timing to, to be with you guys um, uh, right now because it's actually our 20th anniversary uh, next week, the, the founding of OC and the launch of our um, OC Premium Small Companies Fund was 20 years ago next week, so um, great timing. Uh, this is the team that you can see in front of you. Uh, Rob Frost is our Head of Investments. He's been with the firm since shortly after being founded. Uh, Rob's not available at the moment. He's, um, he's working hard, but he's uh, waiting for his third baby to arrive, which is um, due today or, or yesterday or tomorrow, I think. So um, good luck to him and Danny. Uh, Rob and I have been working, as I said, together for the last 14 years, uh, but uh, specifically as, as the uh, team of Rob and myself and Steve, we've been working together for uh, just over 10 years now. And that's, uh, you know, in, in our industry, that's a team of great longevity and consistency, and it's, I think, one of our strengths. Uh, when we launched the Specialist Microcap Fund, which we'll talk a little bit about today, uh, we, we realised there was a lot more work and effort to, um, to cover that space. So we added Dan Stein to the team in 2017. He's been a great, um, a great asset to have. Uh, a younger, a younger uh, guy as well. Um, Steve, Rob, and myself are all in our uh, mid 40s. Settled down with, uh, you know, two or three or four kids. Uh, and, and Dan's a younger set of legs to, um, to uh, pound the pavement and get out there and see the companies, particularly the micro cap space. Not that we, not that we're, uh, not all doing that at, at the moment, but. Um, you know, Dan is, is a younger set of eyes and a, a new face in the team as well. Uh, so we're a specialised small cap uh, fund manager, just approaching our 20th anniversary. Uh, we're a highly trusted and rated um, uh, group. Uh, we're on most major platforms. We're managing just over $1.3 billion, a little over a billion in small caps and uh, around 250 in micro caps. Uh, we're very proud of our superior returns that we've delivered over, you know, the uh, three, five-year, ten-year track record, top quartile returns for our investors. Uh, we're highly rated, so you can see there the badges we've got for uh, Lonsec and Zenith, and uh, I think we've also got the Morningstar rating as well. And uh, we're investor aligned, and what we mean by that is that uh, the team that you see in front of you are not only invested 
into their fund, into the funds uh, that you as retail investors can also access, uh, but we're also owners of the business. Uh, so if the funds do well, we do well, and everyone's winning. Um, so that's the team. Um, Just in terms of the uh, assets under management uh, uh, questions coming from uh, from Chris, is, is that um, is is that some uh, a level where you are um, comfortable? Do you still have capacity to take more? Is there um, is there a natural uh, a, a natural sort of top end of of how much money you would like to manage? Look, we're we're still comfortable at the moment, uh, and you know it's an issue close to my heart because I'm the uh, equity dealer for the team. So liquidity is a, is a key um, concern for um, us, and too much fun obviously will impact our um, investment returns. But that has not been the case to date. So uh, our fund has moved up just just north of a billion dollars in in more recent times, and in, in the small caps. We remain comfortable with um, with that level of fun because the market, the overall market, the index is growing as well. And um, if anything, over the last six to twelve months, we've experienced higher liquidity in the market. So we're not concerned about it in the small cap space. In the micro cap space, that fund has grown very quickly. But again, it's we don't see it impacting our uh, performance at, at any stage um, soon or in, in the in the near future. Um, the, the index has grown as well, again, in the Emerging Companies Index. So liquidity um, and capacity are not concerns for us at the moment. Okay, gotcha. Great question, though. I mean, it's, uh, it's natural for the first question um, to be along those lines. Um, this gives you a flavour, this, this slide here, of the types of businesses that we invest in. Um, and I, I use it because it, it goes to um, the longevity in the, of the investment team. So half of these stocks we've been invested in since the IPO of, of many of them, and some of them have been uh, listed for three to five years easily. Uh, Batcore, C-Link, and Steadfast, we, we were all uh, IPO invested in those companies, and they've been uh, listed for at least five years, I'd say. And uh, Costa Group as well, we're uh, IPO investors in that um, firm as well, although we have moved in and out of that uh, company, currently a holder again. Um, they're all great franchises that we're happy to be associated with and, and have held those stocks since IPO. Uh, a couple of the other ones, Mineral Resources and Seven Group Holdings, been listed for uh, a long time, more, more than 10 years that... Um, that uh, you know, our team has currently been together, but um, probably, um, well, certainly MIN would have been around the 20-year mark, and we've been investing in those companies um, more or less consistently in the 10 years that the team has been together. And then some more recent uh, additions to the fund, Redbubble, which has been a great beneficiary of the, of the lockdown that we've recently experienced through COVID, and then Eagers, uh, which we've held on and off uh, for at least the last 10 years, and we're currently invested in that stock, but it's been listed for, for a lot longer than that. That's a good snapshot of the types of stocks that we're invested in in the small cap fund. Quick, uh, not so much a question, just a comment from um, Carmelo has come in to say, uh, 
uh, it's a, a he, I, I suspect, uh, has been um, with the OC funds uh, for 19 years in the Dynamic Fund. It has funded uh, his, his kids' education and overseas trips. So <laughs> he says, uh, thanks very much to a very valued uh, friend and, um, and team. Well, we've known Camilo for all of that time. We appreciate his support and his, um, his comment there as well is much appreciated. Um, so uh, why do we invest in, um, in small caps? Uh, we, we think small caps and micro caps, these four points um, speak to both categories of stocks. We think there's greater potential for growth in small and micro-cap stocks. Uh, they're at an earlier stage of their life cycle and, and growing the business off a smaller base is simply um, easy to do uh, rather than off a big base. It's sort of natural mathematics, I guess. Uh, in a small and micro-cap uh, investment, you often have greater investor alignment, so the founders of the, of the company will still be actively involved in the management of the company. Therefore, there's skin in the game in these smaller and micro cap stocks for the, uh, for the management team, and therefore they're aligned with us as investors in those companies as well. Uh, we often think that um, there's untapped or undervalued uh, opportunities in small um, micro caps. There's um, less uh, analyst coverage of the stock and often the sector that they're, um, that they're operating in as well. And then some of these companies can go on to do tr truly great things. And we've, over the years, we've been invested in some of these companies such as REA, which is now firmly a top 100 company uh, and a behemoth in Australia. Domino's Pizza is a, or Domino's Pizza Enterprise, another example of a stock that we've been invested over the years that started off as small micro stocks and are now, you know, large, uh, top 100 companies. Max has asked the question, uh, Rob, just along those lines, a lot of, uh, I think a lot of, you know, small cap investors um, look for a particular return and once they see that return come in, are happy to, to take some profits and, uh, and, and look for the next opportunity. Mm. Um, how, do you, how do you grow with a company that starts off as a micro cap and turns into an ASX 100 company and and, and not be tempted to just take, take um, profits off the table? Sure. Uh, I'll answer that two ways. So in, in our microcap fund, we invest in companies below $350 million market cap at, at the time of initial investment. Um, if we're doing our job right and we're finding the right companies, uh, often they will grow through that $350 million market cap into $500 million uh, one, one company that we invested in uh, two years ago, Unity Wireless, uh, as a pre-IPO investment, has gone from sort of a $100 million company to, after its recent acquisition of Opticom, it's now a billion dollar company. So in the micro cap space specifically, once a company pushes through $350 million market cap and up into the $500 billion market cap, we will often um, look to exit that position, or indeed our small cap funds will have a position in that stock as it sort of moves up the, um, uh, the ASX, uh, you know, from the micro cap to the small cap to the large cap. Uh, and once we've exited those positions, once they push through a natural cap, um, 
we'll go we'll go back and look for the next microcaps that are go, that are going to grow through that um, through that range, so that we're true to our label as being microcap investors and as a yep. microcap fund. In the small cap fund, there's a lot more leeway because a, a, you know a top 100 company is sort of two, three, um, four billion dollar market cap. So there's a lot of room for that company to grow. One thing that we are often doing is reassessing the valuation of that business. Just because a company's up 50% or 100% doesn't mean that you know it's um, it's got nowhere else to go. We've been in companies that have gone up five or ten times. Uh, Appen Group is a great example of that that sort of business that's gone from a uh, dollar or a dollar fifty IPO and it's now trading at thirty two dollars. Now, if you sold that stock after it had gone up a hundred percent, you would have missed out on the on the uh, on the other five or six times that it was continuing to go uh, go up. Uh, so, it's more uh, more about looking at the valuation and the growth opportunity for a company rather than just saying, oh, the stock's gone up 50 or 100%, I must go and look for something else. You don't find these companies uh, too often that deliver you know, five, ten times uh, return on your investment. So when you do find them, you should try and hold on to them and stick with them as long as possible. Gotcha. This, this slide here in front of us is a wagon wheel talks to the diversity of the types of companies that in this instance makes up the, um, the emerging companies index, which is relevant to our microcap fund. Um, but if you compare it to the top 100 companies, you know, outside of, outside of the big resources um, stocks, uh, BHP and Rio, a couple of the healthcare stocks like Cochlear and CSL, and the four or five banks you may have in the 100 index, you know, there's there's ten companies that are covering off on fifty percent of the index. Mm -hmm. in, in our in our universe here in microcaps, incredibly diverse, great opportunities to um, get exposure across a broad range of um, sectors, industries, and companies, um, and, and that's that's the opportunity that can often present itself to us and ensure that we can um, get returns from a diversified portfolio of stocks. Okay. We did have a question come in, but I, I think you have a, a slide on the IPO market, so we, we might just park that question until the IPO yeah. market slide comes up. Absolutely. That's uh, down at the back end, I believe. What I will do is I'll just briefly touch on uh, our investment uh, philosophy and approach, and then we can talk about, I think you wanted to talk about an update on the markets and, yep. and yep. sectors we're, we're thinking about. So just following on from you know, the types of stocks that we invest in, we think markets can be um, emotional and backward-looking and inefficient. Uh, so there's an opportunity that, um, for us to invest in the right stocks at the right prices. Uh, and securities can trade below their intrinsic values. So if we're investing in something that's, um, that should be valued at 2x and we're, we're having the opportunity to buy it at 1x, that's a great opportunity for us and our investors. And we also have risk at the core of our investment philosophy. And uh, along with valuation on the one axis, um, assessing risk is something that the team spends a lot of time uh, focusing on. 
uh, and we actually uh, have an operational risk matrix for up to about 500 stocks that we can potentially invest in uh, in our universe. Uh, we, we only invest in about, say, just under 100 stocks across our portfolios at the moment, but we have assessed more than 500 stocks. And, you know, in the last six months, and we'll get to this on the, um, on the IPO pipeline slide, but the opportunities that have been coming at us in the last six months have really um, had the team working harder than ever. And for a group of guys that are absolutely passionate about equities, that's wonderful. Um, but it has, been, it has been quite a workload in terms of the, the new number of stocks that have been coming at us, um, and it's yep. been quite exciting as well. Um, so we talked about the small companies, and then um, we'll just just touch on a couple of the characteristics of the companies that we that we want to invest in. Um, strong management team, absolute key um, criteria for us, and we, it's a strong focus for us. Simple and transparent business models. Um, I'm, I'm not really comfortable investing in a company, and we've seen a couple of examples of very complex business models that have blown up in the last couple of years. Unless I can go home and explain it to my mother um, about how a business that we've invested in operates, I'm not that comfortable um, holding that in our portfolio. Um, some of the other characteristics that we like are um, capital light business models, um, high cash conversion, um, a sustainable competitive advantage uh, is preferred, um, and then favorable operational risk characteristics, coming back to that same uh, point again about risk. Um, what, what we have, just one more point on, on the way that we approach things, what we have also overriding our bottom-up stock picking process is a risk management committee. Uh, it's chaired by an industry veteran, uh, Bruce Loveday, and he comes in and formally sits down with the investment team on a monthly basis and runs through uh, more top-down uh, issues that uh, the investment team may not be focused on, often we are, but you know, broader industry issues, geopolitical issues, what the Aussie dollar is doing and how it may be impacting on our investments, uh, what the current philosophy or, or future philosophy of the RBA is. Um, what government uh, policies could impact on our portfolio as well. And it's great to have that risk management committee sitting over the top of our investment um, process just to make sure that we're thinking about all the broader issues that may be uh, happening in our, in, our, in our domestic economy and, and more broadly as well. Yeah. The common theme I think we, we see uh, across, uh, across our uh, clients that are coming in and having a look at companies is um, Happy to have a go and uh, and keen to uh, you know keen to get involved, but um, really um, really wanting to make sure they avoid disaster, um, which is I think is, is that what is, is that what the risk management team is just um, making sure we avoid that those disaster. Well, particularly from a broader macro perspective, the risk management committee can drill down into those sorts of areas. But um, we think capital preservation, and this is why we talk about risk, is key to our investment philosophy. Because if you lose um, uh, investor capital, to rebuild that takes twice the effort 
Yeah. Okay. So capital preservation is is absolutely critical to to what we do. And you know, if the if the investment team is not comfortable with um, some characteristics of a company or an investment at any particular stage, we've got no no qualms either um, passing on the investment opportunity or or um, you know selling it judiciously because uh, we think that losing a dollar of uh, investors' capital is um, you know is going to impede our performance and and our returns for our investors. So we'd rather not do that. Rather not take the risk. Gotcha. I think. Um, are we still on the um, on the right slide here, Rob? Have you still got control of the, of the slide? Uh, I have got it. I have got it. There we go. Uh, so, should we talk about uh, should we talk about markets? Is that where we're up yes. to? Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, it's been a fascinating year for for investors. Um, earlier, as as COVID began to take hold. It was a whole new world for any investor, and um, I don't think anyone would deny that. But what we're seeing now is we're coming toward the back end of the year, not necessarily the back end of COVID, because uh, the Northern Hemisphere doesn't sound that pleasant to me at the moment, although you know Melbourne and Victoria and Australia is very much under control, although vigilant. Investors are taking a, a sort of a glass half full approach, and um, there's a number of factors that are... Um, uh, driving that, uh, one would be uh, where the COVID um, scenario is globally, uh, but that is also counted by uh, where the vaccine race is as well. And there are three companies that have that have got um, that are making good headway into a vaccine that's going to be available uh, very soon, but more widely available in 2021. The other um, very large um, factor that's been playing out, particularly in the last three months, has been the outcome of the US election and how the market should be positioning for that. And in that respect, and again, this is why investors are um, reasonably bullish at the moment, uh, the US election has delivered a sort of a nirvana outcome for, for us. Uh, and I'll touch on that in a second. And then the other thing that's uh, a key driver of the way that markets are positioned at the moment is that central banks globally are at um, you know, record low uh, levels in terms of interest yep. rates. The RBA is at 0.1, which is um, mind-boggling in many ways, uh, and sort of trying to jawbone uh, the cost of funding lower as well through various other um, programs that they've got in place. Uh, so despite, as this chart shows, despite uh, growth being... Uh, uh, very poor in 2020 and a lot of economies in recession, except ironically China, um, uh, the equity markets are looking beyond what's right in front of us. And that's the way that equity markets operate. They look to the future, not to what's happening now, and um, remain highly optimistic. So just touch on a couple of those points now. Um, there we are. Record low rates. RBA is at point one. $100 billion of bond uh, buying uh, in action right now. Um, and the RBA has promised not to do anything with rates for at least three years, which is a phenomenal statement and, um, and one that gave equity markets um, great confidence. And, and indeed, you know, the real economy, businesses themselves and governments 
um, the opportunity to go out and invest, and that is going to drive um, businesses and businesses that are listed on the ASX indeed. So it will drive the ASX. Um, yeah. The, the other side of that coin is uh, investors with, with rates of 0.1 um, are not really getting uh, any reward for keeping their money in the bank. So uh, the equity markets are seen as a, as a viable alternative for, for that funding. The US election sort of touched on it. Um, the outcome that the markets uh, feared, if it was indeed going to be a blue wave, was um, Joe Biden winning the White House, which personally I think that's you know, a, good, a good thing in terms of having a sensible person running uh, the world's largest economy. Um, uh, but Joe Biden, if he, if he had control of the Congress, i.e. Um, the, the House of Reps and the Senate, um, he could push through some of his more, uh, what some people might consider radical ideas in terms of uh, tax hikes, uh, regulatory reforms, which may have impacted you know, Wall Street. And he would have also embarked on a very large public spending program, which would have driven the US deficit higher. Uh, because he doesn't control, he's unlikely to gain control of the Senate. His um, policy program will be, have to be moderated to some extent. And therefore, you've got um, the, the positive outcome of Joe Biden in the White House, but um, the, the Democrats not controlling both houses, and therefore, yeah. you've got much more sensible policy outcomes that uh, will be beneficial to equity markets, um, both in the US and globally. So that's a good, that's a good outcome for equity investors. And then I'll just touch on um, you know, the elephant in the room, uh, COVID, uh, and how it's impacted over the last six months um, dramatically on economies globally. Um, but the vaccine is all about 2021, and equity markets obviously are not thinking about what's going on today. They're thinking about what's going on in uh, you know, 2021 and beyond. So uh, you've got two or three companies. I know AstraZeneca's had a bit of a setback this morning, but uh, the other two, uh, Pfizer uh, and Moderna, both got very good outcomes, um, efficacy rates that are sort of unheard of in a, in a um, very rapidly developed uh, vaccine such as what, the, what they've got. Um, we're going to see that rolled out. Uh, in some jurisdictions, maybe before Christmas, but more broadly across the, across, across the world uh, over the course of 2021. There won't be a silver bullet. There'll be some people that won't be taking the vaccine. Um, there'll be some people that can't access the vaccine, but it will certainly give um, cause for optimism for investors and investments in things that we, we think of as the recovery trades, maybe stocks exposed to tourism, maybe stocks exposed to um, oil and gas consumption, you know, hydrocarbons. Um, those those investments um, should be driven with a positive um, view by by investors over the sort of short medium term, and we're seeing that already um, in in the current markets since the vaccines began to be announced um, earlier this month. Yeah, very positive reaction so far. 
I know you got a spot on on the on the COVID um, so the, the COVID recovery. So we'll 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 leave some of the questions that have come in on that uh, for that slide as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think it's our next slide. <laughs> okay. So um, these are some of the investment themes um, that we prefer in our portfolio at the moment. Some that we're more cautious on, um, and then some that we're avoiding in our portfolio. And to be honest, um, we're often avoiding those. Uh, the, the avoid column on this slide has not changed in many years. Um, we're still fearful of, or wary of companies with elevated debt, um, complex business models operating uh, outside of our uh, circle of competence, or structurally challenged industries. Um, something like old world media is a classic example of businesses that um, we're, we're avoiding and have done so for a long time. Um, but let's reflect on some of the preferred thematics. Uh, the recovery trade. Uh, equity investors will always look to the future. And whilst um, many companies have experienced a very um, poor period of um, not only earnings, but you know, some have almost gone to the wall uh, over the last six months, the ones that have managed to survive uh, will be very well positioned and sometimes have been priced um, much more cheaply than we could have otherwise owned them uh, for the future when a vaccine is widely available and the world sort of normalises in a post-COVID sort of normal uh, sort of way. Uh, and there, there are some stocks that we own, IDP Education is a great example, but others, Sydney airports, people will begin to travel more next year. Uh, and the Sarteria, which um, has toll roads in France, uh, Eager's automotive group, as people begin to drive more, uh, and indeed the second-hand car market is um, is going bananas um, because people are not only beginning to buy, uh, drive more, but they're taking public transport less, so they need the second car in the family, uh, which will drive the whole auto sector. Uh, and then some property trusts uh, that we, we don't mind. And Wally, which is the old Wally Parsons, which is an engineering firm that people still think is um, largely driven um, by hydrocarbons, uh, but it's also a much more broader based business uh, as well. Uh, so IDP, there's a couple of points there um, on why that business will begin to do better in 2021 and beyond. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's exposed to English language testing and also student um, placements into um, local universities. Uh, mm. So a, a, as the international student base looks to move back into Australia in the coming years, uh, IDP will be a key beneficiary of, of that um, sector opening back up because it's been largely closed for the last uh, six to 12 months. Yeah. Quick question in from uh, from Tim, looking at the sort of the COVID recoveries. Do you do you think that um, some of the uh, the tech stocks that have benefited have uh, have have run away from and sort of are now in bubble territory? And um, do you see that sort of switching switching back to as uh, the economies open up again? Yeah, uh, some of those stocks likely ran ahead of themselves. Um, stocks, equities, equity markets and, and investors push um, 
stocks too far on the upside. So that's happened to tech stocks undoubtedly in the last couple of months. Um, and uh, on the other hand, they've, they've pushed value stocks too low uh, during that last, uh, last three to six months as well. So it's pr provided an opportunity for people who, um, who want to invest in value stocks and, um, and also for people who have been holding uh, uh, growth stocks, tech stocks, it's been a great opportunity for them to, um, you know, make make good money and uh, hopefully take some profits. That trade began to reverse uh, around the middle of November when the first vaccines were beginning to be announced. And what you what you will see is that some stocks have already some of those techie growth stocks have already given back a lot of their not a lot of their gains, a good you know maybe 15, 20 percent of their of their highs. They would be lower than that. Um, now, so that that rotation back into value has already started. Albeit, some some tech stocks. If you if you look at a, a stock like Kogan, which is a sort of a marketplace model, um, it has likely um, had its penetration of the Australian market stepped up um, materially by um, COVID, and. Many more Australians would be aware of Kogan now than they were 12 months ago. So it has undoubtedly deserved a lot of the gains in its share price that it has seen over the last six, six months because it, it is a much more highly penetrated business um, yeah. now than it was 12 months ago. Um, but it, by the same token, it, it likely overshot on the, on the upside and has come off 20% or probably more from its highs. Um, so yes, that, that rotation out of tech and growth and into value or recovery stocks has, has undoubtedly happened and, and will continue to um, play out for a period of time. Okay. Auto stocks. Auto stocks is another, is another thing. Sorry? <laughs> time to try and sell a second-hand car. Second-hand cars are uh, very expensive at the moment, so if you've got one, go and speak to your dealer. <laughs> uh, uh, so we, we've got a, a scattering of auto-exposed stocks inside the portfolio. Um, touched on uh, Batcore and Eagers um, previously. Auto Sports Group is, a, is another car dealer that specialises in more luxury brands. Um, AMA Group uh, has a network of panel repair uh, shops across Australia, and it, it's it's a simple equation. More cars back on the road means there'll be more accidents. Means that um, people will be taking their cars into AMA to get them repaired. Um, Batcore is a great example uh, of, a, of a company that's going to be exposed to the increasing. Um, uh, use of autos in, in the coming years. Um, there's a pent-up demand for servicing because people haven't been, particularly in Victoria or a place like Victoria, they haven't been servicing their cars. They've been barely driving them. So what's the point of getting them serviced? Um, the car park, which is sort of the population of cars on the road, is aging. And that talks to what's happening with second-hand cars where people are trying to um, get, get another year or two out of their car or they need a second um, car in the family 
um, because public transport is less attractive or appealing these days. Um, mm. So, you know, you need you need to have your um, automotive aftermarket parts from from Bapcore, um, and and that business has been doing very well, um, and we expect it to do very well in the in the coming years as well. Interesting. So I'll just touch on the last of, of what we're calling our uh, preferred thematics, um, data. And we, we've been on this um, trade for a while with Happen Group and, and NextDC and a few others, Unity and, and, and Vocus. Um, the, the great phrase is it's the oil of the 21st century, an immense untapped valuable asset which is powering the digital economy. And I'm sure all of the people on the call uh, are more digitally aware. Uh, uh, I think I'm more digitally sophisticated than I was 12 months ago because of working from home for the last four months. Um, but you know, even just the e-commerce um, businesses that have taken off, and Kogan's a great example, um, data and a business like Appen or a business like NextDC, which operates data centers around Australia, NextDC is the engine room for, for the digital economy uh, and that's a thematic that we like right now and we've liked for a number of years and we'll continue to like um, for the years to come. I'm sure is how there a, the is there a, just a quick question coming in on the, on the data, is there a worry around um, so the, uh, the, the privacy regulatory changes that are, that are coming in, is that, is that something you've, um, you've looked at? And, uh, uh, and how that affects how data is being sort of used, and uh... well, I mean that that is something that's um, at the core of a business like Appen or um, or NextDC, the the security of the data that they're dealing with. Um, but the regulations are more to do with the companies that are collecting uh, data of their customer base themselves. Um, so it's certainly an issue for a Kogan. Um, uh, for NextDC, which is just basically storing and processing, storing storing information, uh, certainly uh, privacy is a big issue, but it's not something that's directly impacting them as sort of the infrastructure provider to the digital economy. Yep. Gotcha. Uh, the last slide or two is around the IPO pipeline, which has been absolutely crazy, uh, running the team off their feet. But you know, it's one of the things that I love about investing in, in equities and smaller microcaps. The opportunities uh, are immense. The, the interesting businesses and management teams that you meet almost on a daily basis for us at the moment. We, we could be meeting a new company every day, um, provided they fit into our investment criteria. There are, there are that many coming at us, and you know, it's, um, it's an absolute pleasure to meet these businesses. And there are some yeah. fantastic opportunities um, that we see. And coming back to the point we made earlier, um, you know, the market will not accurately value some of these businesses immediately, and it provides a great opportunity for investors such as us who can um, grasp that value differential and make good returns for our investors off the back of it. In terms of an IPO, how much uh, of an opportunity do you take to um, either help shape or, or guide the company in terms of its, you know, the, the way that it's, it's set up and you know the, the value that it, it looks to achieve on IPO and and its uh, sort of 
how much how much capital it might need from from the market. Is is that mm -hmm. something that you like to get involved with at an early stage? Well, with our microcap fund and the experience of the team and the amount of money that we're um, managing now, particularly microcaps, yeah. and because we've got the opportunity to invest in a few very select pre-IPO companies, companies with less than six six months time frame to uh, IPO, we are finding ourselves more and more involved in early stage cornerstone processes to, to get a, an IPO up and also to shape what the, what the structure of the company and the valuation that the company should be looking for and the amount of money that they should be raising uh, to sell down that, that management or founders will, will be looking to do. We are finding ourselves more and more engaged in those critical decisions that are being made um, very high up in, in the organisation and you know, much earlier in the process. And um, it gives us great opportunity to um, not only invest in a company but also shape the way that that investment is going to look when it becomes public. Um, so, so what's driven the IPO, the IPO sort of uh, pipeline and um, what do you expect next year? More of the same or? I think the IPO pipeline has been driven by the appetite of the market um, and certainly you can't get an IPO away if the, if the market is not there willing to participate with with capital available um, yep. so so the IPO window is open because because the money is there and the appetite is there um, often um, companies that are coming to market at the, uh, in more recent times have been companies that have been beneficiaries of the of the sort of the new economy that we've experienced through the lockdown um, some companies that you would not have seen uh, would not have been considered IPO prospects 12 months ago, but but now because they're right place, right time for um, a sort of a COVID lockdown experience that we've all been having, um, these companies are coming to the fore, and some of them been some of them have been successful, but I can tell you absolutely that some of them have not seen the light of day, and we've met with some of those businesses, and um, there are other businesses, some uh, sort of larger companies whose IPOs have been pulled in the last last uh, 24 hours, 48 hours, that we were quite in, engaged with, um, but for one reason or another, and sometimes it was us saying that valuation is not right for this business, um, that, that will not see the light of day. Um, yeah. So whilst there's plenty of appetite for the right types of deals, um, the market is still being reasonably discerning uh, in, in some instances. Yeah. Okay, and do you expect uh, that sort of run rate of IPOs to continue into next year, or do you think it, it uh, might calm down? Time will tell. Um, 2021 is um, it's going to be very interesting because uh, the COVID vaccine will be rolled out, um, but also there may be you know stimulus may be stepped back in certain areas. Um, uh, I, I try not to look too too far ahead in terms of things that I can't control. Um, if these if these companies are still around looking for um, looking for an IPO and the appetite is still there, then then they will be in front of us. Um, one thing that we do do is take just about any meeting that we can to meet a new company, yep. um, providing it fits within our parameters. 
um, we're not knocking too many meetings back because uh, you never know what sort of opportunity is going to be put in front of you. Um, is that going to be the case in 2021? Well, maybe we'll have to catch up in three or six months' time. <laughs> you can uh, you can put that in the diary, Will. We'll absolutely have you back, Rob. Um, uh, is, there a, is, is there a, I think you said there was a, one more slide to come? Uh, I think it's another slide on the IPO um, space. And some of those companies you will see on the ASX in the not too distant future. Uh, we, certainly yep. invest, we certainly invested in Liberty. Uh, we invested in UX. Uh, those two companies are small caps. And in the microcap space, we invested in Silk Laser Clinics and Top Shelf International. Um, one that's not there, but um, on that slide that's coming through next week is a business called Booktopia. I, I would, I'd be surprised if some of your, or many of your um, people on the call haven't heard of Booktopia before, but that's a microcap um, IPO that we're looking, very much looking forward to um, coming onto the board Thursday next week. Right. Keep an eye open for that one. Absolutely. Um, maybe just in terms of sort of the the, the management teams uh, behind uh, behind the companies, whether they are IPOs or, or small caps, um, how how much how important is that relationship that uh, you have with them and the the um, I, I guess the the sense of trust that you get uh, get from them behind your investment decisions. Absolutely critical. You know, uh, I talked about the characteristics of companies that we prefer um, just a short while ago, and it wasn't a coincidence. The first thing that we have on our list, number one, is trusted management. And and that goes from the very first meeting that we have with, whether it's a, a company that we're meeting for the first time or an IPO candidate. Um, we're trying to build rapport with company and, and management from from the get-go um, and having continual engagement with management and um, building up rapport and trust is absolutely critical to um, a successful investment for, for us and our team and our investors. It's been a little bit different uh, over the last six months because um, certainly in, in Melbourne we've been locked down. Uh, we haven't been having company management over to our um, over to our houses, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, we can still, if anything, engagement with um, companies has increased because they're much more accessible on, on Zoom uh, than they were in, in the old world where we might see them um, on their interim and final results roadshows um, face to face uh, twice a year and then maybe at one or two conferences during the year. Um, yeah. But in a COVID world, um, engagement with management, if anything, has probably gone up um, well, in terms of Zoom and phone conversations. But but it's absolutely critical to our process. Very good. Uh, apologies. Um, I might just uh, uh, do a quick shout out again uh, to, to to the audience uh, still uh, still listening in. Thanks very much for for your attention and for the for the questions and for your time today. Um, if you want to be booked into our next Meet the Funds Manager session, 
uh, type in Meet the Funds Manager to be booked into insider sessions or, or trading sessions, just type in insider or trading. And uh, Rob, perhaps, uh, perhaps a, a concluding word from you to, um, to our audience. Uh, you, you've got your, um, your attribution slides here. Did you, did you want to touch on um, a couple of those, uh, those numbers? I was, I was just sitting on, the, um, I was sitting on the, small, the OC Premium Small Companies Fund um, performance slide there for 60 seconds or so. I thought I'd give the OC Micro Fund uh, performance slide a plug there as well. Um, yep. You know, we're pretty proud of the performance of all of our products, um, but the Micro Cap Fund has had a particularly strong um, track record over one, three, five, ten years, um, and um, you know the teams teams inc incredibly engaged in both the Micro Cap Fund and the Premium Small Companies Fund. And, and Carmelo's Dynamic Fund, it's our third product. Um, the, the performance um, there really speaks for itself, um, one year plus 18% uh, over the index or, or 25, 24.7% um, uh, absolute. And you know, the funds are up. Uh, with a day and a half to go, they're up another um, plus 10% this month as well. So um, you know, we're, we're very proud of our performance and uh, we never stop trying. You know, on, on Monday, uh, Monday afternoon, we'll rule off the November books, but uh, on Tuesday morning, 1st of December, we'll be back in there trying to do it all, all over again. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it's the ultimate alignment for the investment team um, to be investors in the funds and owners of the business. Um, we're certainly trying to drive performance every day. Certainly one of the most common questions that we always get um, on, on companies are, are, are the management uh, aligned with the uh, with shareholders, and um, it's uh, it's great to see that in, in funds management too. So, uh, and as I said at the top of the show, OC certainly has a um, a name that uh, has to be reckoned with uh, in um, in the Australian uh, small cap uh, small cap space. So it comes um, it comes with a, a great deal of credibility. Well, thank you very much, Warren. Uh, thank you, Rob, for for your time. It's been it's been very very interesting. We uh, we might have to leave it there and uh, let uh, let our others uh, perhaps just a, a concluding word from you. A last bit of advice to uh, to the uh, investors online. Well, uh, thanks for putting my response. Um, I guess like us investing in um, the management um, of companies that we trust. I guess your investors should always. Uh, if they're looking for a fund manager, invest in managers that they trust. Great. Very good. Thanks, Rob. And uh, to the audience, thank you for your time today. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Bye.